Great to see you in the house uh, today. And if you're worshiping online, hey, thank you for joining us today as well. Why don't you get your Bible and open it up with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you didn't bring one, there should be one right at your seat. And we want everybody with an open Bible, open heart, open mind to receive uh, from God. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We are in our series Built to Last, and we're looking at these seven commitments now. Uh, that help your family be one that's built to last. And today we are on commitment number four, okay? So I'm gonna go ahead and put that up there and let's just read it nice and strong out loud together. Here we go. Families that are built to last talk differently to each other. Families that are built to last talk differently to each other. Now, what I mean by that is that families that are healthy, they talk differently than families that are not healthy. Families that are connecting with each other talk differently to, to each other than those that do not connect well. And so you wanna be in this camp of families that talk differently and, and they are moving toward a family that is built to last. Now, this idea of communication is a challenge. Would you agree with that? It's not easy to communicate really well together. I've told this before, but it just reminds me of uh, years ago when I was in Mexico and I was on a mission trip and I was with a, a buddy of mine and we were down in a, in a market area. It was getting late, so we decided to get a cab and go back to our hotel to change clothes. And so uh, a cab in that, this part of the world was not like a yellow cab like in New York City. It was more like some guy's car, you know, with the, the little sticker on it. And so we... we Held the cab and we jumped in. I jumped in the front, my buddy jumped in the back and I shut the door. Well, immediately the cab driver pointed to the door that I just shut and started saying something to me in Spanish. Now, what I didn't understand at the time was culturally, if you slam a car door or you shut too hard, that's like offensive, okay? That's like slamming a door in your house or something. Of course, I didn't understand that and he was pointing to the door and I thought he was telling me that I didn't shut it good enough. So I open the door and I slam it shut <laughs> to which he went ballistic and he starts going crazy in Spanish, but I don't know what he's saying. My friend in the backseat is trying to tell him, I don't know Spanish. I don't know what he's saying. But needless to say, we had to pay a few extra pesos uh, because of that. Uh, anyway, we obviously were not communicating, okay? And uh, the same type of thing can happen in your marriage, can happen with your children, you're using the same words, but you're speaking a different language. You're trying to communicate something, but something is lost in translation. So how do you communicate better? You know, it's, it's not about more words, okay? It, that cab driver could have said a ton more words. I still wouldn't have got it. He could have said it louder. I still wouldn't have got it. He could have been very demonstrative, which he was, and I still wouldn't understand. It's not more words, it's not louder words, it's not more emphatic words. What I needed were different words. I needed him to speak a language I could understand. The same is true in your family. You have to speak differently. If you want connection with your kids better, you have to speak differently. If you wanna connect with your husband or your wife better, you have gotta speak different words. If you're not feeling heard, if you don't feel like communication is happening, you can't just keep saying the same thing, hoping one day they'll get it. You have to choose different words. You have to talk differently. And that's hard to do. I think a lot of reason why it's a challenge to talk differently, I'm talking now more about marriage, 
is because we talk to each other, our communication with each other changes over time, okay? Think about it when you were first dating. And uh, you talked all the time, right? Some of you, you were, you were dating, you were talk, 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 right? Everywhere you go, you were in these deep conversations. What y'all been doing for the last two hours? Oh, we've been talking, you know? And so you, you're, you're doing a lot of that talking and communicating. Some of you did that whole fall asleep on the phone thing, which is a little creepy, a little weird. Uh, but, but you're just constantly talking, talking about your dreams, talking about your hopes, talking about your lives, talking about your struggles. You're just communicating at a deep level. But fast forward five years, 10 years, and many couples are not talking that way anymore. They've stopped talking the way they used to. I, I kind of liken it to getting in an elevator. Let's say you're going on a date with your, your husband, your wife, and um, you've been looking forward to it for a long time, and y'all, y'all haven't had a lot of one-on-one time, and so you're really looking forward to this special date. You go to this fancy hotel, you get in the elevator to go up to the restaurant at the top, and man, you get in the elevator and it's just the two of you. You're holding hands. You're feeling the loves. I mean, it's like, oh, we're finally together at last. And then the elevator stops and the door opens up and five people pile in the elevator. And they're all laughing and cutting up and kind of loud. And, and so you kind of back up and you're all, now you're not really talking that much because all these other people are kind of taking over your space. You go up a few more floors and it opens up again. Five or six more people pile in. They're laughing, they're cutting up. You know, they've been, they've been hanging out and, and now people are starting to crowd in. Somebody kind of crowds in between the two of you. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. And everybody's kind of pressed in together. Now, whatever intimacy or oneness or feels you had when it was just the two of you, it's gone, right? Because these other people have crowded it out. That can happen in a marriage. When it was just the two of you, man, you were doing life together. But then kids came along and career came along and responsibilities came along. And now you don't have time to be with each other anymore. And now your conversation is almost always transactional. Did you do this? Did you pick up the laundry? Did you deposit that check? Are we going to that parent-teacher conference? It's all about that and it's not about you and how you are and what's going on in your life. You know, many times Liz and I will go out to dinner and, and I'll inevitably see an older couple and they're sitting alone and sometimes I'll just kind of watch them. I'm not in a creepy kind of way, but I'll just kind of keep my eye on them. And, and, and I've seen many times couples that they never speak. They just, they just eat. Sometimes they don't even make eye contact. It's so awkward. And I keep wondering, what happened? I mean, somewhere at the beginning, they were doing life together. They were sharing. They were talking. But now they just sit and eat without even looking at each other. What happened? Listen, you don't want to be that. Maybe you're new in your marriage, you're new in your family. Uh, you you want to do everything you can now to avoid that. Maybe you're in the crowded elevator of life. Everything's crowding out the most important relationships that you have. How do you prevent from ending up like that? That's what I, I want to talk about today. You've, you've got to talk differently. Families that are built to last, they talk differently than families that are not built to last, okay? So let's look at it. Ephesians chapter four is where we're gonna be uh, today. Now, um, title of the message is simply talk differently. The apostle Paul is writing this passage or this letter to the church at Ephesus. 
And he's really making the case that when you come to Christ, Jesus changes you from the inside out. You're a new person in Christ. Your, your old self is dead and gone. You're a new person now, a new creature. However, you have to live this out. The change starts from the inside out. Religion is outside in. Religion is I'm going to do a lot of things, and hopefully that will somehow get into my heart. Christianity, the faith, the gospel is Jesus changes you on the inside, and that's worked its way out. And so he said, like, you're going to have to work this out now in your relationships. And uh, he uses a metaphor of taking off some things and putting on some things. Just like you took off uh, your sleep clothes this morning and you put on uh, some church clothes, whatever you decide to wear today. In the same way, you've got to take off some old habits, some old patterns, and you have to put on some healthy ones. And so he's describing this change and then he gets down to the part of how we talk to each other. And he says, you're going to have to take off some old ways of communicating, and you're going to have to talk differently. Now, let me just pause here before we dive into it. I just give you this warning label. This is, this is going to take effort, and it's going to take time. And, and these are, this is a constant choice. But you say, okay, I'm going to choose to not speak in my default uh, mode, and I'm going to choose to talk differently to my wife, to my husband, to my children, um, so that we can have a family that is built to last, okay? So, with that in mind, no finger pointing, no elbow nudging your neighbor, just receive it unto yourself, amen? Somebody say amen a little louder. All right, there we go. All right, uh, four ways to talk differently. Four ways to talk differently. Way number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. You gotta move from deceptive words to truthful words. From deceptive words to truthful words. Look at verse 25. This is the word of God. He said, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, James uh, Patterson uh, conducted one of the first mass surveys on personal morality in America. And he looked at lots of different categories of how we act as in our personal lives with regard to morality. And one of these areas he tested or asked or surveyed was about truth-telling. And this is what he discovered. Now, I'm just going to give you a couple of things. There's a lot more to it. But he said 86% of Americans agree that they lie on a regular basis. Uh, 75% lie to their friends. Seven out of 10 say they lied to their spouses. Seven out of 10. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is that truthfulness equates to trustworthiness, right? If you're not truthful, then I can't trust you because you're not truthful to me. I don't know if you're deceiving me or telling me the truth. And so if you're not truthful to me, then I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, then we can't have a relationship. So to the degree that you're not honest and truthful with your spouse, to that degree, you are being dishonest and really cutting under uh, the legs of any hope for a healthy uh, relationship. One friend of mine likes to say, trust is acquired in drops and spent in buckets. And so uh, it takes hard work to develop trust between the two of you. And, and it's very difficult to repair it uh, when it's broken. Trust is fragile. It takes work to build it. And so listen, one of the foundations of a healthy family is they choose to be honest. They choose to talk truthfully 
to each other. Some of you know how painful it is to be lied to. Some of you know what it's like for someone to deceive you. Maybe once, maybe twice, maybe years of not telling you the truth. And over time, how that has eroded your relationship. Proverbs 25 captures it. Proverbs 25, 18, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an ax, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Pretty graphic language there. But, but some of you know the deep wounds that deception causes. And that's why Paul starts off and he says, listen, you've got to stop lying and start telling the truth, to be honest with one another. Now, most couples, uh, w- when they get into deception, it's not because, oh, I can't wait to deceive my spouse today, right? It's not like that. What it is is like, I don't want to tell them the truth about that because I really tell them the truth about it. It's going to lead to an argument. So I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to kind of skirt the truth so that we don't get into it today. I don't want to have a conversation about money. I don't want to have a conversation about, you know, my work schedule. I don't want to have a conversation about me being late. I don't want to have a big fight about my in-laws. And so I'm just going to kind of not tell them everything so that we can keep the peace. Now, listen, if, if you have to deceive to keep the peace, then you're on shaky ground, right? Because a healthy relationship cannot be built on deception, now, let me just say, listen, I'm your pastor and I love you, right? I understand what I'm saying can be difficult. Craig, man, if I, if I really, you know, if I went home this afternoon and kind of really got into this topic that I've not been completely truthful with, it's going to be bad. And so this is why sometimes you need a uh, a godly counselor, you need a pastor, you need a godly counsel around you. That's why we're, we're, we're a church family. We can pray for one another and coach each other and help one another out so that we can learn how to navigate these things. What I'm telling you is not easy. But what I am telling you is what Paul said, put away lying and speak the truth. That's what has to happen in any healthy relationship. Whether you're children to parents Parent to kid, husband to wife, wife to husband. And look at what he says here. He said, for we are members of one another. In other words, he's talking again to this church. He's like, you can't be lying to each other because we're one. We're in the body of Christ. Listen, you're one as a family. You're a unit. You're one body. The two become one flesh. And if that's true, then you can't really get to true intimacy and oneness if you know there's this wedge of deception between you. So the first thing I've got to do is I've got to choose. I've got to talk differently. I can't keep talking in deception and lies and avoiding the truth. I have to speak truthfully uh, to each other, to my husband, to my wife, uh, to my family. Number two, I jot this down. We have to move from angry words to reconciling words. Angry words to reconciling words. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. You know, we've talked about anger many times before. Anger is an emotion. It's not right or wrong. 
but it can lead you into sinful things. Can you notice or do you notice that post-COVID that people seem to be on edge a little bit more than they used to be? I mean, think about road rage, uh, what is happening now. Think about how everyone's on pins and needles. Uh, When COVID was taking place and everyone was sequestered in their homes, uh, reports of domestic abuse were shooting through the roof. Why? Because we don't know how to live together. We don't know how to have a relationship together and we don't know how to handle our anger. And so we're just walking around with this hair trigger, constantly on pins and needles, constantly walking on eggshells because we're afraid that somebody else or we ourselves are going to explode with this bent up frustration within us. And he said, listen, in your anger, do not sin. You can say words in your anger that you really regret. Is that true or what? Is that true? How many of you have actually said things in anger you wish you could take back? Yeah, we all have. We all have. But the problem is you can't. And, and I'm sorry, he just doesn't cover it. You know, the James, uh, uh, the brother of Jesus who wrote in the book of James in your Bible, he said, words are like a spark that can start a blaze that can destroy many things. And how many bridges have you burned? How many relationships uh, are are charred because of, of words spoken in anger. You may say, well, that's just kind of the way I am, you know. You just told me, Craig, to speak the truth, right? Point number one, preacher, speak the truth. Well, I'm telling you the truth. I'm mad, all right? Point number one, speak the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. It may be you're upset. It may be that you're even justifiably so. It may be that you're angry. It may be that, that this thing has to be addressed, but... Don't let your anger lead you to sin, right? Sometimes the best thing we can do in the moment when the blood pressure is rising, when the conflict is escalating, when you know it's it's boiling up to the top, uh, some of the best thing we can do is step away, calm down, watch your words. God was dealing with me on this this week. Job 13.5. Listen to these words. Job 13.5. If only you would remain silent, for that would be your wisdom. Ouch. Right? Hey, by the way, do not put that as a memory verse on your husband's pillow. You know, don't, don't let slide that under the placemat on your wife's you know, table. You know, don't do that. All right? But if only you were just silent, that would show your wisdom. And there are times and there are places when wisdom is what? Just not react. Wisdom is to hold your tongue. Wisdom is to clamp down and to not say what you're feeling in the moment. Well, but I feel that way. Yeah, but you feel it, but you don't always say what you're feeling. Why? Because it can, can lead you to sin. It can cause more damage than harm. Instead of venting, what should we do? Look at verse 26. Uh, he said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, work quickly to reconcile. You know, when Liz and I were first married, it, we, we just fought a lot for, for random things. We're not really sure. We were so young. We, we, we were just trying to figure out what marriage was like. And we would argue quite a bit. And, and usually it would escalate to a point where you know, I got to yell in order to get your attention. Or I got you know, to do all this stuff for you to listen to me. And, and it was that kind of, con, you know, kind of language flowing around. And what we learned was, hey, 
Most of the time, we can tell if something's an irritation that's going to lead to a conflict, right? Nine times out of ten, it just doesn't evaporate, you know, or just doesn't pop in out of thin air. It, it's something you see coming, all right? This is kind of getting under your skin. This is a problem that's coming. And what we learned was to get ahead of it and address it before it gets to an explosion. Hey, something's kind of simmering a little bit on the stove there and irritating you or something that's a repeated pattern that's kind of getting on your skin, we learn to say, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? And here's what I'm noticing and here's what's going on. And, and I notice that you kind of get upset about that and I, or this hurts my feelings. And I don't want to get into a big argument about it. I just want to talk about it before it gets there. Can we talk about that? And what we learned was the skill of preemptively, proactively addressing problems before they escalate to a big argument. Let me tell you what, that is, that is a skill that will extend the, the life expectancy of your marriage a great deal. To, to learn to talk calmly and to learn to talk honoringly, in an honoring way, to learn to talk uh, proactively about things before they escalate, before the anger gets in the way. He said, do this quickly. But he said, resolve the matters before the sun goes down, before, before 24 hours is completed. Do it quickly, but work proactively to do it. And then he said, you need to do this. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to give the devil what? A foothold. Think about somebody comes and knocks on your door. You go to the door, you look to the people, they've got it covered up. They keep knocking. You open the door, and as soon as there's a crack, they stick their foot in it. Right? Now what? Now they've got access to your home. This is what the enemy does with unresolved conflict. He's knocking when you're getting angry. He's knocking the conflict. You haven't addressed it. You haven't addressed it. You're getting more angry, more angry. An explosion is coming, and the minute... You start to get angry and vent that anger, whoop, he slips his foot right in there. And he can cause great harm. How many families have broken apart because of the inability to resolve conflict? By the way, that is next Sunday's sermon on conflict resolution. That's not for today. I'm just talking about your words right now, all right? Your words. Angry words to reconciling words. Uh, we need them. Uh, here's the third one. Three things, three ways, uh, four ways to talk differently. One, from deceptive words to truthful. Number two, from angry words to reconciling. Number three, from critical words to encouraging words. From critical words to encouraging words. Look at verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Now, I want you to circle the word there, foul language. Uh, some versions translate, look at your Bible. Some translate it unwholesome words. Some translate it corrupt talk. Some translate it abusive language. Literally, the word means rotten. Rotten words. It is used only a handful of times in the New Testament. And one, it's used to illustrate rotten fruit that comes from a bad tree or rotten fish, all right, that need to be thrown out. Rotten, anybody want to eat any rotten fish today? Anybody? Nobody? Anybody want to like eat any rotten fruit? Got all kinds of hairy stuff on it? Nobody, nobody wants to eat that. 
Like, throw that out, man. Well, that's the very word here, he says, for our language, rotten language. Now, of course, this could mean cursing, uh, using words that are cursing the meaning, hateful words, but I think it's even more than that. I think it goes deeper than that. The critical words, fault-finding words, words that kind of tear down the person and demean the person. Uh, that's what he's really talking about here. Dr. John Gottman, one of the great marriage experts in our day, he said that criticism is one of the top four indicators of potential divorce. If someone is constantly critical of the other person, that's one of the top four that will eventually lead to the dis dissolution of that marriage. Critical words tear down and not build up. Nobody wants to be around somebody with critical words, right? I remember having two bosses when I was younger. I had a, one boss when I worked on the highway department uh, as a college student, all right? And uh, this guy, he was probably about five foot four, weighed probably 140 uh, pounds. He was a skinny little guy. His, his skin was leathered from years out in the sun. Uh, he uh, had no teeth, so his chin nearly touched his nose when he closed his mouth. And he loved to pack tobacco inside his cheek. And whenever he talked, it just kind of went everywhere. This guy could string together curse words in one sentence in such a creative way that I have never heard. In fact, sometimes I would go, wow, that, I've never heard it quite put quite like that before. I mean, he, he could really string them out. And every word was some kind of vile word. He didn't know our names. He just cussed at us and tore us down. And you college, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he was just, uh, he was awful. I, I don't even know his name. I, I remember him very clearly. Now, I had another boss when I was in high school, when I worked at a men's store, and he was great. He, he was uh, he cared about me. He knew my name. He taught me things. He showed me how to run the cast register. He showed me how to match ties and slacks together. He showed me how to sell shoes. He did all this kind of stuff, even to the point that when I needed just advice about life, then I would go to him and seek him out because I knew he cared about me. So I had one boss that was terrible and one that was good, one that tore me down and one that built me up. One that spoke nothing but vile things toward me and one that spoke nothing but encouraging things. Now, which one do you think I'd want to be around? Right? This one, obviously. Which one are you? Which one are you to your kids? Always finding what they did wrong? Fault finding, critical? Which one are you to your spouse? Always encouraging, building up, uh, bragging on them, affirming? Listen. Critical words are deadly. What we got to do is we got to trade them for encouraging words. Look at what he says here. He says, when you talk in a foul way, he said it grieves the Holy Spirit. I always picture the Holy Spirit sitting right outside our bedroom door when Liz and I are having a conversation. And what does he do? Does he go, oh, don't say that. Oh. Just wincing? Is he grieved when he hears your tone? Is he grieved when he hears your words? Or does he rejoice when you're patient and when you're kind? We've got to talk differently. 
We've got to talk differently from deceptive to truthful words, from angry to reconciling words, from critical to encouraging words. Uh, Here's this last one, from threatening words to compassionate words. Look at verse 31. He said, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another just as God forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. The first list is not that great a list, right? Anger, wrath, slander, malice, all these things are hostile words, violent words, intended to hurt. Listen, some of you, some of you grew up in a house like that. You grew up in a really angry home. You grew up in a really hurtful home. You grew up with uh, lots of threats. You, you went to bed afraid at night. And so when you read these words, you know what that's like. You have lived it. But let me tell you something. You are not bound to repeat it. A lot of times people go, well, you know, this is the way I am and I'm, I'm just kind of cursed. This is how it's gonna be in my family life. No, no, you're not. Because you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And you are a different person in Christ. And because of Christ, it stops with you. You are now the chain breaker. Now you, you don't have to repeat these hostile words that you grew up with, that you still even uh, have to deal with in your own mind from time to time, but you can choose to replace those words with, look at what he says here, kind, compassionate, uh, loving, uh, forgiving words. Proverbs 16, 24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Isn't that true? Man, it just makes everybody healthy. It makes everything good when they hear sweet words. So we gotta, th- we gotta talk differently, right? Families that are built to last, they talk differently than families that are not built to last. Families that make it talk differently than families that don't make it. Families that, that, that have a healthy, strong relationship talk differently than families that don't. King Solomon probably wrapped up this all in Proverbs 18, 21, when he said these words, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. So you're either bringing life to the people around you, lifting them up, encouraging them, reconciling relationships, or you're bringing death slowly. We've gotta talk differently. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I talk differently? I, mean, I know what I need to do, but how does that actually happen? You know, Jesus uh, said, uh, we don't really have time to read it right now, but John 6, 45, Jesus said um, that your words are a window to your heart, that what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart, right? It comes out of your heart and through your mouth. So if I want new things to come out of my mouth, I gotta have what? I gotta have a, a heart change. I've got to have somebody change what's in me so that what comes out of me is different. And only God can do that. Only God can change your heart. Only God can bring peace to your heart that results in peaceful words. Love in your heart that results in loving words. Patience in your heart so that 
results in patient words, joy in your heart, so that it results in joyful words. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? You know, maybe today God is dealing with you. You're recalling now the conversation you had maybe in the car on the way to church this morning or the, uh, an argument you had this weekend. Maybe conversation is very tense with your children at home or maybe even grown kids. Why don't you ask God to search your own heart? God, search my heart. And God, I ask him to, to change you on the inside so that the words that come out of your mouth are words of life. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, your words are life to us. And Lord, we just realize that it's so easy to default into anger or to be critical. It's easy to default into threats and, and just sin. But Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to be life givers. Lord, we want to speak life into our, our husband, our wife, our children. So Lord, I pray that you do work inside of our own hearts, God, where there's anger and frustration or where there's sin in our life, God, we pray that you would search it out and Lord, that we would quickly confess these things to you. We'd admit these things to you that you already know and surrender ourselves again to you, God, in a fresh way so that we can truly talk differently to the people in our life. Lord, we want to talk differently. We want to be different. We want the world to see the difference, Jesus, that you make in our lives. So help us, Holy Spirit, to do that. Help us know when to speak and when not to speak. Help us know what to say and what not to say. So that it gives grace to those who listen. Lord, we need you now more than ever. We pray you'd help us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.